Well, we've enjoyed having our special guests with us uh, these last couple of days, Pastors Doug and Paula Allen, from Living Hope Church in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Uh, is that correct? Did I get it right? Latrobe. Latrobe. You may never have heard of Latrobe unless you're a golfer. And if you're a golfer, Latrobe is almost a Mecca because it is the place where Arnold Palmer uh, actually lived and, and, and began his career. And uh, the hotel that's in Latrobe, it's actually quite a nice hotel in Latrobe, but it has a whole muse- like a museum for Arnold Palmer there. And so I can always spend a, a good amount of time uh, you know, because that's, that's outside of the Lord. That's another passion. I love to chase that little white ball around. And I do a lot of chasing of the ball. That's true. But Pastor Doug is an amazing servant of the Lord. He's been, he's, he's served in a local church on staff. He's had those experiences. They have been missionaries uh, to Russia, started churches in Russia for years, um, have just done a multitude of things with regards to the ministry and are currently both our lead pastors of this great church in uh, western Pennsylvania. So, Pastor Doug, Paula, I don't know what you got up for today, but you're up, so come join us. We love you. Can we give the Allens a round of applause and appreciation as they come and speak and minister today? Pastor Doug. Good morning. I just want to say it has been so great being here and meeting so many of you, the encounter. Uh, I just see, you know, we love Pastor Kevin and Tracy, and we've known you guys for a long time, but Tracy has so much love. Not that Kevin doesn't, but, but you know, Tracy the hugger, Tracy the lover, and Pastor Kevin too, but I'm just saying I'm, I'm seeing that love in your people. I'm seeing that. So thank you because so many of you welcomed us yesterday and and hugged us, and I really appreciate that. So I'm believing for a great word today. I'm believing the things that you said, that God really is coming. And he's, you know, we say we're waiting on the Lord, but really he's waiting on us. So we've just got to get up, and we've got to go get it. And we're going to go get it, Pastor Kevin. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know what uh, Brad was thinking giving me a toy. I got a, I got a laser pointer. Look, you're Gandhi. Look at that, huh? You should have never given me this toy. This is out of control. But your pastor's here, so we have adult supervision. So you guys can feel well. It's good to be back with you. Last time we were here, we weren't here. We were over there. I think, where were we? At the hotel. And the Crown Plaza, yeah. And we had a great time. And we were happy-go-lucky missionaries on our way to, Mon- uh, to uh, Siberia to teach in a Bible school. But there's this guy called Jesus. And for some reason, he seems to think he owns the church. He seems to think he can tell people what to do. And he told me to go take a church in western Pennsylvania. I've never been to western Pennsylvania. But one day I was going to Siberia, and two months later I was sitting on the front row, and I told Paula, I'm not sure what happened exactly, but we're pastors here, I think. Like he sent a couple of big Italian torpedo angels down, you know, and brought us into a closet, worked us over. Next thing we knew, we were not missionaries to uh, Siberia. We were pastors to Latrobe. Now, they actually pronounce it Latrobe, but I I just can't make myself do it without a lot of practice. But for those of you who aren't golf fans, there's another reason Latrobe is famous. Can you say Mr. Rogers? (laughs) 
sure you can. That's, that's the home of Fred Rogers. He's a dearly beloved character in the Pittsburgh area. The urban legend has it that one time somebody stole the, Mr. Rogers' car in Pittsburgh, and when they discovered it was his car, they washed it, filled it with gas, and brought it back. True story. <laughs> True story. He's a beloved man. A lot of people don't know he was a Presbyterian minister. And he was my role model when I was in uh, children's pastors for Brother Rod Aguilar. But uh, he, he's a great guy. Now, for those of you who didn't watch Mr. Rogers and don't play golf, it's also the first place there was a professional football team. Okay, just, to, just in case you didn't, they paid some guys to play football. Think, think Leatherheads or whatever that movie was. This wasn't the NFL by any stretch of the imagination. For those of you who don't play golf, who don't like Mr. Rogers, shame on you, or you're not involved in football, it is also one of the three cities mentioned in the original zombie movie, Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> True story, there was one city where there were no zombies and it was Latrobe. So, our living hope is literally living hope. So, we, that's what we're trying to do, get all the walking dead. Has anybody, has anybody been watching the news? There's a lot of walking dead out there. Uh, but uh, we have the solution and that is Jesus Christ. So I'm going to try to figure out how to use this board. This is going to be exciting. If it get, not that I'm encumbered by notes or anything like that, but uh, I'm going to try to figure it out. But it is good to be with you guys. We had a great time. It was an honor ministering in the encounter. Felt like the Lord did some great stuff. I always get touched in these things. And so uh, I, I, you can never outgive God. Amen. I enjoy it. Let's go to the Lord in word of prayer. Father, we just thank you, Father, for this opportunity to gather in your name freely. We know that this is not enjoyed around the world. And so, Father, we're thankful for that. And, God, we come today to present our hearts to your Holy Spirit. We're not here to register our opinions. We're not here to vote. I'm not here to present my opinion, God. We're here to hear the word of the Lord and to present our hearts to be changed to conform with that word. And so, Father, by your Spirit, transform us today through the power of your word. And God, let signs and wonders confirm the preaching of that word. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So, Pastor Doug, you've been on your feet for two and a half days. You have a little cold. How are you so springy? I'll tell you, I have several secrets. One of them is prayer. The other one is uh, Alka-Seltzer cold and cough. And the other is bacon socks. If you don't have bacon socks, you should get some bacon socks. Because bacon just makes everything better. I did that for those of my church who are going to watch this because I, the first couple of preachers, preachings I did there, I said, listen, every day is not bacon. And, you know, I mentioned bacon a couple of times. So now in my office I have bacon ties, bacon socks, bacon mints, bacon toothpaste, bacon calendars. Uh, I have, uh, I have an, only one person actually brought me bacon, which was a little disappointing. But uh, I have the rest of that stuff going on. Uh, let me just say an introduction that God is relational. He's very relational. I like what uh, Pastor Kevin said in the beginning here. He said, we've presumed upon you too long. Now we're going to pursue you. Relationships are something that you pursue. Is, is anybody here married in, in, in the eyes of the state of South Carolina? Some of you are married in the eyes of God. Some of you are married in the eyes of South Carolina. But if you've been married more than, say, 15 minutes, you've probably already learned that for a relationship to prosper or even to be maintained, there has to be a pursuit. 
You know, we talk about Father God a lot. Father God, Father God. And He is our Father God. And by the way, when you pray, you don't have to say Father God several times. Father God, we just want you to know, Father God, that Kevin, I just want to tell you, Kevin, that I really appreciate Kevin, your church, Kevin. It just sounds funny, doesn't it? That's Christianese, I guess. But we say a lot about Father God, but you know, God created women also in the image of man, but also in himself. Man's nature is, is representative of the Father heart of God, but there's also the, the heart of God that's represented by women. He's mysterious. Now, I'm, not, I'm being funny, but I'm not being funny. He's not easily understood. He's not. He, God doesn't want you to understand him. This is what, you know, God's never come to me, and he's never... Am, am I going to aggravate the... Oh, we got a cameraman. Okay. I'm, I'm tough for staying on the spot. Plus, I have a face for radio, so good luck with this. Anyway. <laughs> I, I, uh, I just, uh, mystery. You're a mystery. Yeah. You're, you... you it's the Robitussin. Blame it on the bacon socks. It's kicking in. But, but, but <coughs> excuse me. Okay, let's start over. We, God, God will not be. Uh, he, he, I've never had God come to me and say, "Doug, get me. Do you get me? Do you feel me?" He, he just doesn't do that. God does. I don't. I don't try to figure God out. I tried to figure my wife out. Guys are laughing because you tried that too. It doesn't work. And here, you know why it doesn't work? Because God never wanted you to figure your wife out. He wanted you to love her. That's why I had to tell you in Scripture. That's how slow we are. If you were at the encounter this weekend, you understand the male brain. We talked a little bit about that in the male session. When testosterone is released in the womb and, 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 the, and, the, and the zygote becomes a male, the testosterone bathes the brain and it burns up the majority of the connections between the two hemispheres of our brain. Men are brain damaged, okay, at birth. And so we have one little single line of communication here. So you remember the old game Pong? Boop. 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 That's how we communicate. Women have a super highway here. And so, and so we, we'll never figure them out. But God had to tell us, hey, you need to love your wives. He told wives, honor your husband. He told God, you need to love your wife because we, you know, we forget. We just want to fix stuff. But the nature of God is that he must be pursued. He must be pursued. If you're not pursuing God, you're not in a relationship with God. And Christianity is not a religion. Now, a lot of people have turned it into a religion, and you can see the fruit of that. The things that are done today in Jesus' name are appalling. Places that call themselves the Holy Church of God, the things that they do, it's appalling. And that's what happens when you take a relationship and try to turn it into a religion. Jesus warned us. He said, there's one thing that makes the Word of God of no effect, and that's the tradition of men. You've turned the Word of God. You've made it of no effect by your traditions. Now, I'm not talking about the apostolic creed. That's the skeleton of the body of Christ. That's the, the orthodoxy by which we may maintain the truth of the Word of God. But I'm talking about doing things culturally and doing things practically and doing things just because they make sense to us. That has nothing to do with the Word of God. And so we, we want to be in relationship and not in religion with God. We want to pursue Him. God is above all things relational. God said, let us make man in our image. You hear the plurality there? Let us make man in our image. Yeah, and there's another place in the Bible where it says, I will be 
like the Most High. I will ascend to the heavens. I will place my throne. I, I. And who is that? That's Satan. When you find yourself saying a lot, I, I think, well, I believe, you know, I heard pastor's message and I think and I and I and I just realize where the source of your thoughts are. When you see something in the body of Christ and you see something in your local church or you see something in your neighborhood, or you say, what is your first response? Do you catalog the fault or do you pray? If something's going on in your family, to simply walk around and point out the problems in your family is not going to do your family any good. Well, look around you. This is your family. God placed you in relationship. He iron sharpens iron. He forced us, for lack of a better word, He designed for us to live in community and in relationship. God is huge on relationship. If you think you can have a great relationship with God's head and then disregard His body, you've deceived yourself. God, God puts us... He puts us... Listen, it's the king's highway. Okay, it's kind of a narrow way. There's not a lot of room to get around sometimes. And on the King's Highway, there's a lot of sheep. Has anybody ever lived on a farm? I have. Lived on a 5,200-acre Angus cattle farm. My father retired from the military. I worked, I was a farm boy. Lived in Burville, Tennessee. Population varies. It said, welcome to Burville on both sides of the sign. And we didn't get to Sunday afternoon Grand Ole Opry till Monday morning at 4 o'clock. That's how far out we were, okay? When you're walking around the barnyard where there's a lot of cows, there's a lot of other things that are where there's a lot of cows. And sometimes when you're on the king's highway where there's a lot of sheep, you're going to also run into a lot of things that sheep do. And it's not always pleasant. But hey, cupcake, it's not always supposed to be pleasant. That's the whole thing. That's why Jesus said, what you do to the least of these, you've done unto me. That's why he emphasized relationship. God is the God of, of a hidden kingdom. The kingdom of God is hidden from the proud. It's hidden from the independent. It's hidden from the stubborn. It's hidden from the sinner. This is a hidden kingdom. And, it's, and by the way, it's not only hidden, it's locked. You can't just walk in the kingdom anytime you want to. It's not a revolving door. Say, it's not Walmart. Somebody look around and say, praise God, it's not Walmart. It's not full of Walmartians. It's a locked kingdom. Well, brother, where do you come off saying the kingdom of God is locked? It ain't locked to me. If you don't think it's locked to you, you've never been in there. Jesus said, behold, I give you the keys to the kingdom. Why do you need keys if there's no locks? I give you the keys to the kingdom. So God, in his wisdom, hides his kingdom behind his character. He won't put his seal of approval on something that doesn't Meet his standards of character. Now, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you want to look at it, the free will of man, when God gives a gift to someone, it's without repentance. And so we see guys who operate in the gifts and do powerful things, and that gift never dies, 
and that person's character goes off someplace and gives God a bad name, but the reality is at some point he was walking with God or never would have received that kind of anointing. So God's looking for those keys. If you want to have relationships, listen, if I like everybody, why do I need Jesus? What do I need humility for? Why do I need to be long-suffering? Why would God tell me that love involves not marking the faults of others if he wasn't going to put me around a lot of other people with a lot of faults? Now listen, Tracy, you and I know being perfect people, it's aggravating for us because we don't have problems. We don't have hang-ups. We're perfect. If you don't believe I'm perfect, ask my wife. $100, remember? $100, okay. But God put us around other people, and he required us to humble ourselves, to be humble, to be long-suffering, to not keep records of wrongs, to walk in forgiveness. Forgiveness is essential to relationship. If you've been married more than a year, Paul and I have been married for 34 years. Did I get it right? Bingo. One for the guy, okay? We, we've been married for 34 years. be 35 years next week. This will be our first anniversary in the United States in a long time, I can tell you that. We've been in jungles and Siberia. And so uh, we've been married 34 years. But if you've been married a long time, you know that you haven't always felt married. If I may quote the, the prophet Boston, it's more than a feeling. When, when, when I preached this at my church, we had a Boston video come on and played the first part of More Than a Feeling because I'm just prone to 70s moments. I don't know. So. But it's more than a feeling. Love is not a feeling. Love is a decision. Love is a decision. Key to seeing relationships restored, key to walking with God is to understand that first, forgiveness is not optional. And remember this, your power to choose is the power to change. If you've got anything in your life that you don't want right now, and we talked about this yesterday. For some of you at the encounter, this is going to be a review. But uh, let me just tell you something. Uh, it's not uh, criminal to be offended. It's not terminal and lethal to be offended. It's not unusual to be offended. And I'm going to tell you something else you're not going to hear on too much of even Christian television. It's okay not to like something about yourself. Everybody's not going to like you. You don't even like you half the time. How's everybody else going to like you? And if, and if you want to live in a free society with, with a First Amendment of a guaranteed right of the freedom of speech, and you want to live with a bunch of free moral agents who have the right to have their own opinion and the right to believe and the right to express it, how in the world do you think you're never going to be offended? The Greek word for that is brain dead. It's not going to happen. I'm sorry, cupcake. It's time to wake up and smell the coffee. You know, you're going to be offended. But when I had my birthday, we, they, gave, they made cupcakes with little straws in them. You know why they do that? Suck it up, cupcake. <laughs> Next year, they're going to give out little bridges. Get over it. Get over it. You know, listen, Jesus learned obedience by what? The things that he suffered, it, it, we, I was invited to, uh, to address this, this graduating class in Russia. And I went to the, to, the, to the graduation session, and all the seniors were up there. And listen, they only invited me because I was the only American in the entire Chavash Republic. It wasn't that I was uniquely qualified. But I shared in this test, I said, 
I said, I remember, it seems like only yesterday, I said, when I was you sitting on that front row, graduating from high school. I said, and I was going to show the world what it was all about. I don't know how mankind survived up until now, but here I come, young people. Any of you getting a witness on this? Look out, world, super Doug on the scene. And I was like a kite. Man, just, just let me fly. But it seemed like there was always something pulling against me, pulling against me. And I said, just cut the string, baby, cut the string. So I cut the strings of my family's faith, and I cut the strings of morality, and I cut the strings of my family honor, and I cut a whole bunch of strings. And you know what happens to a kite when you cut the strings? It falls. It's not those winds alone that are blowing up your skirt, making you all smiley. It's the resistance that gives you the lift. It's the pressure that prepares you. Listen, it, you, you say, well, I've had a pretty rough time this year. I had a pretty rough time last year. Well, I'm sure you did. The school of ministry is not where you go get a Ph.D. from. Did I, did I touch a button? Where you go get a Ph.D. from someplace. The school of ministry for God is 40 years on the backside of the desert. That's how he prepared Moses to lead his people. Moses went from a cocky, impulsive, highly educated uh, man to a guy when God finally called him in a burning bush said, are you sure you got the right guy? So I remember as a young believer, a pastor, a missionary came through and he said, I'm always amazed when people are impressed with me in my ministry as though I had something to do with it. And I looked at him and I thought, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Of course you had something to do with this, your ministry. I know I'm going to have something to do with my ministry. It was a long time before I got a ministry. Long time. You have very little to do with it. When God really shows you what he wants to do, and you realize how utterly impossible it is for you to do that, then a humility comes over you. I've never orchestrated a ministry in my life. I've always found myself there. Paul and I, we found ourselves in a ministry. We were going to Russia. We weren't going to Russia. You guys, any of you know Clay and Anita Brooks? Have they ever been here? That was our model missionary couple. We wanted to go to the city they were going to and help them start their church. That was our plan. We knew we were called to Russia. And one day they called me on the phone and said, you know, we're, gonna, we're, we're praying about giving you the city of Chebiksari. And part of me at that time said, wow, that would be awesome. And part of me said, my knees buckled. Okay? I'm not exactly what you call a straight gene sensitive guy. Okay? I grew up in a military home. I joined the Army when I was 17. But my knees buckled, and I fell on my face on the couch, and I said, God, can I do this? A terror came over me, not a fear, an awesome terror of the responsibility to be involved in the eternal life of so many people. The weight of that thing hit me, and it, it wasn't a demonic fear. It was a, oh, I cried out to God, deep crying in the deep, can I do this thing? And God said, get up, you can do it. And when he did, it literally strengthened my knee, I got up. I said, well, we can do this thing. We can do this thing. But let me stay on my teaching on relationships, or I'll try. Every time I come here, last time I came here, I had a nice message prepared, and I, I used a lot of scriptures and everything because, you know, you got, I've only got a GED, so I, I, okay, I have a high school diploma. So this is Dr. Baird. I'm, I'm a little intimidated. And then I'm, during praise and worship, I'm standing there, and God says, I don't want you to preach that message. I said, really? Well, isn't that amazing? 
I'm probably going to do it anyway. No, you're not. Okay. Well, what do you want me to preach? He said, uh, I'll tell you. So as I'm going up, I'm literally, I'm going up. I'm like, I'm, I think I'm going to do finger puppets or something. What am I going to do when I get up here? God took me to Micah 4. And I enjoyed the message. I don't know if you did when you were here, but I, I enjoyed the message from Micah 4. And Micah 4 by is still relative. If you want to know what's going on in the earth, if you want to know why there's so much craziness going on and why there's so much persecution of the church, read Micah 4. Anyway, our power to choose is our power to change. Whatever's going on in your life, whatever you don't like in your life, you need to change your belief system. Don't try to change yourself. Change your belief system because it's your belief system that's giving you the life that you have. You are uniquely qualified to earn the money you earn. Oh, no, I deserve more. Oh, no, you don't. If you did, you'd get it because God is fair. Just be patient. There's seasons now where there seems to be a little lapse where two plus two and there seems a little, little bit of time before the equal sign comes out to four. But let me just tell you something. God said that wisdom would promote you and that it would bless you. And he said that if you would seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all things would overtake you. This is not just a blab it and grab it when you have your offering here. These are promises of God who are seeking first the kingdom. And you, when, you, when, you, when you put your money where your mouth is, when you put your feet where your faith is, when you do something that's a corresponding action that demonstrates effectively that what you believe, then that's when faith is released. We believe in our hearts unto salvation, but we confess with our, in, in our hearts we believe, and then with our mouths we confess unto salvation. There has to be a corresponding action that validates or activates your belief system. I believe God will take care of me. Do you tithe? No. No, you don't believe God will take care of you. You're taking care of you. Well, I believe God. No, you don't. Just your actions, your actions confirm what it is that you believe or what you say that you believe. And so it's very important that we, if we want to bring change, if we want to bring change in our relationships, how many people, you, know, you may or may not want to raise your hand here depending on your wife, how many people here would like to have a better marriage? Now, guys, keep your hand up if it's all your fault. I'm just giving you a chance to keep from getting bruised ribs later, okay? If it's all your fault. I'm raising my hand now. I don't want to hear anything in the car on the way home. Stop trying to take control of your spouse. Stop trying to take control. Control is an illusion. You can't control anything. God's only promised you one thing you control, yourself. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but a love power and a spirit of wife control. No, a spirit of self-control. The only thing you control is yourself by the power. And you can't even do that sometimes without the help of the Holy Spirit, without the quickening of the Holy Spirit. So stop trying to, to, to exercise control over situations. You're afraid something's going to happen, so you're just going to try to control everything. There's no love in control. You notice God gave you a free will. He didn't try to control you. See, God gave us the opportunity to say yes to a romance with him. But if he doesn't have the ability, if we don't have the ability to say no, then yes doesn't mean anything, does it? Then it's just do it because I said so. And so God offered us not a religion, but a relationship. So relationships are huge. I was about to tell you to go to the next slide. He gave us love, power, and self-control. Let's look at Matthew. Forgiveness is not optional with God. 
Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. I'm in the NLT, the New Living Translation. Then Peter came to and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? And he said, no, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times. And therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king. And he starts to go on with this parable. But he says, 70 times 7. Now, we talked about this yesterday, but don't get your counter out. And every time you forgive your husband, check it off till you get to 490 and then shoot him. That's not what he's saying here. But by the same time, don't take that, that, that token lightly. How many times would you say, I forgive you to someone for stepping on your foot if they were still standing on your foot? That's stupid, isn't it? Isn't that stupid? How many times has God forgiven you? How many times have you repented of something? If you say more than one, you've never repented. Because to repent, we use that in Christianese. Well, I repent, you jerk. I repent of saying that bad thing about you, you jerk. Repent means you turn and go the other way, and you don't go back. You were doing this, but now you're doing that. Now, there is confession that leads to repentance. What I did was wrong, and I'm sorry. There is a contrite heart. But until you're confessing in an agreement with what the Word of God says, then you're really not repenting. But my point being 70 times 7, God's forgiven you 70,000 times 7. Wrong attitudes, omissions, commissions. Sin is to miss the mark. How many times have you missed the mark? How many times have you not been able to represent Jesus in a situation because of an evil heart of unbelief? Now my goal here is not for us to become sin conscious. That's why he gave us a robe of righteousness from the moment the, the prodigal returned from the pig pen, he got the robe and the ring of authority and the sandals of the son. He never got more anointed. He never got more holy. He never got more, uh, he never got more perfect in the sight of God than he was from that very moment that Christ made provision in his covering. So we don't want to become sin conscious, but we also don't want to forget where we came from. Because what happens is you start checking off these things you're doing right and pretty soon you start to judge others' weaknesses based on your strengths. And judging yourselves by yourselves, you damn yourselves. We don't want to do that. And by the way, that's not relational because God told us if we're loving them, we're not keeping score. You can't keep score. I'm just telling you, if you're rehearsing your spouse's faults, if you're rehearsing your pastor's faults, if you're rehearsing your parents' faults, it's only a matter of time before that relationship breaks down. God told us to think on whatever things are pure and of a good report. Well, if all I do is think about their good side, how are they ever going to change? Okay, cupcake, how are you going to change them? You can't change them. You can't. The only thing you can do to change your spouse is to try to be such an amazing husband or wife that they are compelled by your goodness and love and demonstration to be a better husband or wife. We love him because he first loved us. It was his kindness that led to repentance. Yet when someone doesn't repent for us fast enough, what do we do? We don't exhibit kindness like the Bible said. Love those, bless those, pray for those that curse you and respitefully use you. 
we start to let them know, hey, listen, uh, you better, you know, who you think you're dealing with here. Matthew. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, and I thought this was interesting too. We all, how many people here are kingdom people? I'm a kingdom person. I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ is he, the gospel of the kingdom. A lot of people preach the gospel of Jesus without preaching the gospel that Jesus preached. He said, behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he commanded us to walk in the kingdom. And he said, I am the salvation, which is the doorway to the kingdom. Most Christians are hanging onto the door somewhere 20 years later, still trying to figure out if they're saved. When God said, I want you to walk into the kingdom. And they hit the first locked door that tells them they have to love uh, brother Broadbottom and sister feel good at church and they don't like the color of her tambourine. And so they're sitting over there and, and, you know, pretty soon they don't feel too good about themselves either. And they're wondering if they're even saved. And they're just, don't, instead of having 40 years experience in the Lord, they have one year's experience in the Lord 40 times and there's no growth. I'm telling you, God wants to do something uh, he wants to do something here. He wants to do something in Legacy Church in this little building behind another church that has a bigger sign on the front row and uh, that floods every other year. He, he wants to do something right here. He doesn't want to go to a... Well, I can't say he doesn't want to go to a church of seven or 10,000 because he does want to go to a church of 10,000. But he wants to find a group of people who are calling upon his name and who are willing to be in loving community. God is looking for a place to send broken people. My wife shared a testimony at the encounter. I, I, I was, it was Father's Day. I was, I'd been serving the Lord now for a while. My wife was not serving the Lord. She was not saved. She had, uh, she had never even remotely been saved. I had been somewhat saved in an altar call at the age of nine, but she had no experience with God whatsoever. Grew up just in a religious denomination. And so uh, we were, we were uh, we, she was a bartender when we met in El Paso, Texas. And at that particular time, all my exes lived in Texas. She had left me three times. And why did she leave me three times? Because I was a drunk and a jerk. That's why she left me three times. So she had left me three times. She was back in El Paso. And I was in, but I had gotten saved somehow in my living room. I'd gotten saved, and then eventually God wouldn't let me be a free moral agent that free, and he commanded me to go to a local church. See, I didn't know Jesus was God. I, had, I made an altar call when I was nine, and, 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 and I said, so now what? And they said, one fine morning when this life is over, you'll fly away. I said, well, that's great, but I'm nine years old. <laughs> We've got a little bit between now and flight time. They're not even boarding. What are we going to do now? Well, brother, you're saved. And once you're saved, you're always up. I slipped out the denomination. Anyway, so I'm nine years old and ten years old. And all I'm wondering is, gee, will I get to meet a woman before I go to heaven? I'm not, I don't know what they're talking about. But I messed around and got really saved. And can I just tell you that when God showed up in my living room, I'll just share the rest of the testimony. You can hear it again if you're here the weekend. I was watching. I was been drinking all day long. I used to keep vodka in a freezer, and I'd drink it out of a tea glass. I didn't even show it olives anymore. It wasn't a martini. I was just a drunk. And uh, I was watching the dirty movies that came on Channel 38 late at night. They'd have R-rated movies on. And I was dozing off. It must be pretty late, you know. And then I opened my eyes, and it was on one of the, like, PTL or something. 
and there was some $100 hair preaching on there somewhere. And I'm like, turn that off. Then I dozed off again. I opened my eyes. It was back on the Christian channel. And the fourth time it happened, all of a sudden, I became almost instantly sober. And the hair stood up on the back of my neck. And I didn't know who God was or anything, but I had a moment's clarity and sanity like the gathering demoniac. You know, I don't care how much you've been involved in. I don't care how demonic this culture is. A thousand demons couldn't keep the gathering demoniac from coming to Jesus. Anytime you want to turn to the Father, you can turn to the Father. I don't care how deep your sin is. And I looked at the TV, and the thought that some great immortal being who had created heaven and earth with the sound of his voice wanted me to become like one of those guys was terrifying. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't like church people then. I'm going to be really honest with you. I don't like church people now. I love them. I love Jesus. I really love people who are on fire for Jesus and who, who are trying to run after him, who are pursuing him. But I, I don't like people who just come to church and become critical of other people and cause division and so strive. I just don't. But I love them because it's a decision and it's more than a feeling. Boston moment. Move on. Okay. So I, 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 I didn't repent. I didn't ask God to come into my life because I wanted to be like church people. I hated church people. But I hated things in my own life more. That's why I say everybody wanting you to feel good all the time, everybody wanting to give you a participation trophy for screwing up. No. Sometimes you need to take a look and have an honest conversation with yourself. And if it ain't working, it ain't working. Today, if it ain't working, it ain't working. But the good news is if you'll take the key of humility from the keys to the kingdom, and just today you'll just say, God, you know, it's not working. My marriage isn't working. My relationship with my kids isn't working. My relationship with the pastor isn't working. My prayer life isn't working. Whatever it is, just repent. Just, just humble yourself. Confess your sin before God and begin a process of repentance. It's that easy. It's okay. So I cried unto God. I believe in the kingdom. You believe in the kingdom. We believe in the kingdom. So what is it that he's talking about forgiveness? And he says, and, and then he tells a parable about the kingdom. Well, hang on. Who said anything about the kingdom? We were talking about forgiveness. Hello, McFly. We're talking about the kingdom. Why are you talking about forgiveness? Because until you repent and you're forgiven, you don't even get into the kingdom. And you sure don't walk around in there with an attitude. You sure don't walk in joy, peace, and righteousness in the Holy Ghost, and you're still becoming critical of someone, and you're still judging others based on your strengths and their weaknesses. And when you have a mistake, it was unavoidable. And when they have a mistake, it was carelessness. And when you're unloving, well, you were provoked, but when they're unloving, they're just unloving. I don't know why I keep hammering that. It's, don't raise your hand, but is somebody in here unloving? All right, so... I'm unloving sometimes. Holy Ghost, so don't get cocky. Yes, sir. So the kingdom is, hinges hugely on forgiveness because learning to walk in forgiveness is essential to a meaningful relationship. God is the God of two or more in my name. He didn't have enough faith to think he could get three Christians to agree, so he said, if I can just find two, I'll show up. He's all about the relationships. Kids, look over at your parents. If two or more hadn't gathered, you wouldn't be here. 
Now your parents are blushing. You see that? Okay. God's all about you. The minute we decide we're not going to have relationships, human beings cease to be. Or we're going to have inappropriate relationships. Human beings cease to be. Just saying. So uh, the kingdom of heaven, I'll try it one more time. Uh, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. And in the process, one of his de debtors was brought who owed him millions of dollars. In the King James, it says he owed him 10,000 talents. Owed him 10,000 talents. Let me get caught up with myself. What is 10,000 talents? Oh, there's a little delay here. Lag. There it is. Ten and I misspelled talents. Look at that. Talents. Okay, one. Talents, which is the ancient Greek spelling. Does anybody here know Greek? This is Russian. This is Russian word. Talents for talents. Если говорить по-русски, это проблемы нету, конечно. Но собрать я. So one talent equals 6,000 denarii. I don't know. What's a denarii? Good question. One denarii equals one day's wages. So, 10,000 talents equals 164 years of wages. Assuming you could make a decent living when you turn, say, 18, how many lifetimes are we talking about here? The, the point is, it, see, to say he owed him millions doesn't mean anything anymore because... You could do a video of yourself falling off the toilet and make a million dollars on YouTube these days. It doesn't mean anything. The point is, this is 164 years of life, of your wages, of all your education. You know, your wages, your, 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 that's you. That's where you've spent your time, your, your energy, your emotion, your intellect. That's your, 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 the fruit of your existence. 164 years worth and I gave this sound piece. I'm not a financial counselor, though I did stay in a Holiday Inn Express once. So I'm going to tell you something. If someone comes up to you, they say, Ed, I want to borrow $1,000, but I'll pay you back in 164 years. The word is no. I won't do that. They can't pay you back because it's impossible for them to live long enough to pay you back. So do you understand what he's trying to tell you here? You entered into a covenant with Christ based on the atonement of Jesus Christ, based on the sacrifice of Christ made on the cross, a sinless man born of a virgin who was not at all under the influence or the affectation of sin, chose to put all sin upon himself that you might be positionally made righteous, having no righteousness of your own. And therefore... It is impossible for you to repay your sin debt by yourself. Impossible. And the sooner you stop trying, and the sooner you get off the hamster wheel of Christianity's performance, and the sooner you embrace the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that inside your jacked up life, and you know you have a jacked up life, because we're all jacked up. Inside of you, God has placed a new heart. A heart that's after Him. And if you will cultivate that heart, He will produce in you amazing things. You have no ability to earn this thing. Stop trying. It's insulting. If I killed my son so that you could live and you threw a quarter at me for, as your way of saying thank you, I believe I'd create a hell for you too. It's impossible. Because he did not have enough money to repay it, 
The master ordered him to be sold and his wife and children and everything that he had. Men, it's not just you we're talking about here. It's your wife and your children and your children's children. We dealt with generational curses this weekend. Don't think you live in a world by yourself. Everything you do has consequences. Your life will echo in eternity. The demons that you don't defeat, your children will battle. And the ones that they don't defeat will violate and torment your grandchildren. We're at war, ladies and gentlemen, with an evil essence. And there's no reason for us to be passive in this hour because all victory is ours in Christ, in Jesus' name. Then the slave threw himself to the ground and made obeisance to him and saying, Be patient with me, and I'll pay everything I owe you. He's a liar. There's no way he could ever pay everything he owed. But God in his mercy. So the master of the slave, because he had compassion, released and forgave the loan. Now here he's repenting. I'm sorry, I'll pay you back. Show mercy on me. The master, we know who the master is, shows him mercy and forgives the loan. He forgave the loan. That was the, that was the deal. Here's our contract. I will forgive the loan. The loan is forgiven. I'll pay you back. He said, I want you to pay me back. I'm forgiving you. I don't want you to do penance. I'm forgiving you. I want to do penance. I don't want you to do penance. Penance is insulting to me because I'm forgiving you. When I forgive you and you feel like you've got to earn it, what you're saying is my forgiveness is not enough. You've got to do something too. No, you don't. The blood was enough. Look at the person next to you. Say, the blood was enough. The blood was enough. So the master of that slave had compassion released him. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. A hundred denarii. Let me see how I spell that. This is always exciting from here forward. Check my spelling. Owed him a hundred denarii. And slave, by the way, the term here for slave, there's, there's a fellow slave and then there's a negative term for slave, which means foreigner. Because it, this wasn't the horrible slavery that we're used to in, back in the 1600s, 1700s, even the United States. This is the slavery where seven years you were servant to someone and then there was jubilee and debts were forgiven, slavery was forgiven. This is the slavery of conquered people. They were slaves. They were second-class human beings. And this was a kind of an insulting thing. He found out this other guy whom he called a second-class human being. After he had been forgiven so much, he chokes this guy for 100 denarii, one day's wage, three months' wages. He's forgiven 164 years, three lifetimes of, of a man's blood, sweat, and tears. And for, 30, uh, for three months' worth of wages, he has this man thrown in prison. He's been forgiven of so much, so much he's been forgiven of, and yet he has the time to go down and find somebody who's offended him 90 days worth, and he, by God, is going to get his piece of meat for his 90 days. He's going to get his pound. He's going to get his blood. He's going to get his flesh. By God, somebody owes him 90 days. Do you see the depth of depravity in that mentality? Do you see the wickedness of that? I didn't say character fault. I said wickedness. But when he found out, one of his fellow slaves owed him a hundred denarii. He took him. He 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 messes him over. He does everything he's going to do. Now, guess what? Nothing happens in a vacuum. Did you know that? What goes around comes around. Foolishly, people call it karma. God calls it the, the law of sowing and reaping. What you sow, you reap. What you sow, you reap. So they saw him 
doing this thing. And they went and told the king who had forgiven him, and he summoned the master back to him. Or the master summoned the slave back to him, and this is what he says. Wicked, oh, look, he said wicked too. Wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt just because you asked. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave as I showed mercy to you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the merciless jailers until he would repay everything that was owed. Now listen, and so also my heavenly father will do to you, will do to you unless you forgive your brother from your hearts. Yeah, but I'm saved. Once you're saved, you're always saved, right? Okay, let's be real careful here as we tiptoe through the the landmine of free will. Our goal here is not to become sin conscious, but neither, we don't want to latch onto something and just say this is eternal security, but neither do we want to latch onto something called eternal insecurity. God is not about eternal insecurity. But there is a place where I believe the salvation process begins in a human being where a seed is brought in there and a person has an, a, a, a responsibility to walk out that truth and to walk in that truth. And I think when you demonstrate the fact that you're not willing to forgive others, that you have areas in your heart where the love of God has not yet been shed abroad. And if you do not deal with those areas in your heart of your fleshly nature, they will eventually come in and control your life. I don't want to argue. Can you get a demon? Can you Listen... If, if, you're, if you're in a car with a demon and he's in the driver's seat, it doesn't matter if he owns a car or not. The car is going wherever the demon says. Oh, you're possessed? I don't, I don't care who signed a rental contract. Where's the car going? This is kind of a big deal. When we, when we, when we walk out of forgiveness, we walk out of relationship, we walk out of Christianity as God meant it to be. And so God is huge on this area of forgiveness. He's huge. Why? Because he said, listen, I gave you at great, great personal expense. I bankrupted heaven to get you out of Satan's pawn shop. And I did so with a piece of my very nature. And I invited you to be perfect as I am perfect. And all I ask you to do is keep my commandments. All I ask you to do is if I say it's missing the mark, you say it's missing the mark. If I say it's sin, I want you to say it's sin. And if you know there's something better, I know you're going to sin. I already made provision for that because I know you're going to sin. I know you. I knew what I got when I got you and I took you anyway. But all I'm asking, okay, is that you, one, trust me. I want you to live by faith, not by your own understanding. I want you to call sin, sin, and righteousness, righteousness. And when you mess up, I want you to say you're sorry. And I want you to do something that demonstrates you really don't want to do that again. If you struggle with drinking, you might want to consider quitting your weekend job as a bartender. Just saying. I just want you to demonstrate something in your life that confirms the fact that you're writing, that you want to pursue the perfection that my son offered you. You know, the the jailers there, I'm going to zip through some of these notes. The jailers there... We're not just jailers. They don't think about prison guards. Think these guys were torturers. 
It was their job. They were trained to cause severe pain and torment. Unforgiveness brings torment, sickness, and death. When we forget, refuse to forgive, and please, if you're sick right now, I'm not saying that you're, you're sick because you have unforgiveness in your heart. But if you do have unforgiveness in your heart, I'm telling you, it'll make you sick. It causes dis-ease, disease in your spirit. And it's a dangerous thing to play with unforgiveness. Uh, Jesus said in, in, in Matthew uh, 5, You've heard it said of your ancestors. You were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. You know, like the law wasn't bad enough, Jesus came along and said, Oh, no, by the way, if you even think about it. What, what was he trying to do? He was helping the law do what the law does. The law produces sinners. If you're living under the law, you're becoming a better sinner every day. Because that's what the law is supposed to do, is make you into a sinner. So that you need to get saved, so that you turn away from sin and turn to life and grace in Jesus Christ. He said, but I say unto you, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. Has anybody been angry this week? Has anyone driven in Charleston traffic? Oh, yeah, tell me you haven't been angry. But listen, so you can stop sticking your finger out the window. Take that Jesus bumper sticker off your car, would you? So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, you suddenly remember that someone has ought against you. Leave your sacrifice at the altar. Go to the reconcile and go and be reconciled to that person. And then come and offer your sacrifice to God. I know faithful men and women of God who never miss a tithe but wouldn't cross the aisle to say I'm sorry to somebody. shouldn't be like that, brothers and sisters. When you're on your way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to a judge who will hand you over to an officer who will throw you into the prison. And we know what's in that prison. It's those tormentors. It's those trained demons who torment you, who take your life, who take your peace, who take your health. And you won't be free again until you've paid the last penny. If you want to pay your sin debt, knock yourself out. Uh, you can't, but I mean knock yourself out. If you don't want to pay your sin debt, then accept grace. In the kingdom of heaven, if you're not justified by faith, you're not justified at all. It's Jesus plus nothing. Your power to choose is your power to change. Your power to choose is your power to change. Uh, we're not to seek uh, our own justice. We're not to seek vengeance. We're not to uh, mark faults of others. We're to pursue peace with others, the Bible tells us. Pursue peace, and so much as it is within your power, pursue peace with all men. Now, everything's not in your power. You can, but this is where you see you who are more spiritual... Go to the other and try to resolve things. You can always say you're sorry. And you can always forgive even if they're not sorry for what they did. This is where people get tripped up. Well, I don't want to be a hypocrite. Well, if you don't want to be a whip, it's easy for you to say. Try that again. If you don't want to be a hypocrite, then stop saying Jesus is Lord. Stop saying you love Jesus and keeping not his commandments. You're the hypocrite. 
Because he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I command you to forgive. I command you to bless those that curse you. I command you to pray for those who respitefully use you. I command you to do that. He didn't say, and if you go over and frown at them with your religious stare, and they say they're sorry and buy you a Waffle House gift card, then you can... No, he said, just go forgive them. He said, vengeance is mine. He said, if you're kind to them, you'll throw hot water on them. You say, well, I tried throwing hot grits on my husband. That didn't help. That's not what he's talking about. He said, it's your kindness. It's your kindness. I'm telling you, people can resist anything. Wives, can I give you a hint? Your husband can resist anything. If you're trying to force him into doing something, if you take a confrontational stance with a man, I want you to think about a mule, ain't nothing going to happen. Either you're going to turn him into a, a neutered poodle, okay, which you don't want, or he's just going to become stubborn because men are confrontational. But you know what people can't deal with? They cannot deal with love. Love never fails. People cannot deal with love. When they do you dirty, and they know they've done you dirty, like they've done a thousand other people dirty, and you don't do them dirty back, that bothers them. And they may not run over and tell you they're sorry and pet your bobo and give you a cookie or some bacon. That bacon. And we know what men are, right? You were at the encounter. You know about the importance of bacon and two other things. Anyway, so they may not run over right away and make you feel happy and throw you a party and do everything you want them to do. But I'm telling you, long after you've shut up and moved on with your life, because when you let somebody go, you let them go, and then you're free to go. Not forgiving, my wife pointed out, is like taking poison and thinking they're going to die. They're not going to die. You're going to die. You're laying up at night. How oh, can they do this to me? Got some demon sitting on your shoulder rehearsing the fault over and over again until you poor little pitiful thing, redheaded stepchild, go out in the backyard and eat worms. You poor thing. You're just, oh, my God, bathing in the pity pot. They're over there. They're sleeping like a lamb. They ain't thinking about you. Your whole life has changed. You're, they're, they're controlling your life. And you know why they're controlling your life still? Because when you give the power to them, you have no power to choose. You give them your power to choice. I can't forgive them because, because. When you say because, you say, I take all my power and I give it to the person who hurt me. And I am forever bound in my past. I'm sorry, but that's the truth. But when you say, I'm going to keep my power and I'm going to forgive because it's more than a feeling, I'm going to forgive, I'm just going to choose as an act of love. Listen, love like forgiveness is a choice. My, my wife and I are married for 34 years because we made a choice to be married for 34 years. Every morning we got up, it didn't feel like a honeymoon. Every morning we'd get up whistling the love boat. Some mornings we were both looking for places in the backyard where we could dig a six by three hole. None of your business what we we're going to do with it? Shut up. When you live down on the bayou, all you need is a wood chopper and the alligators will do the rest, okay? I said, Paul, that's a pretty new plant. What is that? Hemlock? I didn't know you could plant. We had some rough, we had some rough years. But you know, God used those rough years to humble us and to give us compassion and to give us a sense of transparency. I can tell you about the thousands of mistakes that I've made, not because I just like to look stupid in front of a crowd of 
good-looking South Carolinians, but because I know what God thinks about me. And listen, as sweet as you are, Cupcake, if I know how God feels about me, why am I worried at night what you think about me? And if I don't even care about my own opinion, how, how, how much of a wedgie in my spirit should I get about your opinion? And, and I, you know what? And listen, I'm not belittling you. I'm just saying I want to be free from my opinion. And I want to be free from the opinions of others. I want to be free to love. I want to be free to love. Can you come up? I want to be free to love. Let me just tell you, God wants, God wants to, to move here, okay? And I don't mean he's moving from Latrobe. He's going to live in Latrobe. There's nothing you can do about that. But I mean he wants to, he wants to have a move of his spirit here in Legacy Church. And he wants to leave a legacy. I know people may name churches all kinds of things. But I believe in this particular case, this was a spirit-inspired name. God wants to leave a legacy out of Legacy Church. And I look at I grew up in the charismatic movement. I've seen anything you can imagine. I've seen it. I've seen people bark like dogs and dogs bark like chickens. And I've seen Jericho runs and crippled men flip-flopping. And I mean, you, you know, I've seen it all. And, and, and I'm glad I did. I've seen, I've seen blind eyes open. I've seen deaf ears open. I've seen paralyzed baby's arm healed uh, from the laying on of I've seen am amazing lots and miracles, and I've seen all kinds of super stupendous uh, spiritual things. But I'm going to tell you something. What, what turned the charismatic movement could have been the third great awakening, but it turned out to be the third great awakening because a bunch of immature Christians would never grow up and learn to walk in character and embrace orthodoxy. The charismatic movement wasn't, wasn't uh, derailed by a lack of charismania or a lack of truth or the lack of the supernatural. It was uh, derailed by a lack of Christian character. Too many people who saw too much supernatural then turned around and, and did ridiculous shenanigans publicly and sexual sin and, and immorality and foolishness tarnished the supernatural move of God and everyone re rescinded back to, let me go find some place that's safe. Let me tell you something. The God who saved your soul, if he'd have made the decision you're making now by trying to play it safe, you'd be going to hell. He did not take the safe road. Jesus Christ is not safe. I love, I love in, the, in the Chronicles of Narnia where the lion comes and says, the lion, is he safe? No, he's not safe. The lion is not safe, Kevin. He's good, but he's not safe. Jesus is not safe. The story of the little kid, he's in there and the preacher's preaching. He says, now God... Some preachers talk like this. Now, God is omnipresent. Little kid says, Daddy, what does omnipresent mean? It means he's everywhere. Really? Yeah. Is he in my pocket? Yeah, he's in your pocket. Is he going to eat my Snickers bar? I love the way kids think. You know, they're sincere. He said, no, he's not going to eat your Snickers bar. The omnipresent God will not eat your Snickers bar. But the manifested presence of God He'll eat your Snickers bar. When you, when you, oh look, God, God will always go without you. I'm just going to tell you. 
And you could probably sneak into the gates of heaven with a couple of pinch marks on your hiney cheeks from the gates. You'd probably zip in there. Ooh. Okay. And, and God love you. I hope you do. I don't want my worst enemy to go to hell. That's not what I'm, I'm about. But this ain't about being saved. That's the door. The kingdom is about losing your life that you might find it. I'm going to tell you, I, 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 God's asked me to do things I didn't want to do, but I got no regrets. I have been around the world for Jesus. I, I'm, talking about, I'm talking about a guy that probably should have never lived past 30, okay? And I've been around the world. Which I've been in North Korea praying for North Koreans. How does, how does God take a guy and a gal who are a couple of drunks and just horrible parents and horrible husbands? That's, that's the power of the gospel. I'm like a guy who is about to shoot himself because I almost killed myself three times. I'm a guy who's about to shoot himself, walked in a casino, put a nickel in the slots and won a million bucks. And then walked around like I had an important plan for life because I had a million dollars. Everybody try my plan. No, I, I'm a guy who's playing with house money. And so I'm not sticking anything over here in the side for later. I'm taking everything I got and I'm putting it on every roll of the dice. You probably will live a long time before you hear another good casino analogy coming out of the pulpit. But I'm just telling you, I'm playing with house money. Everything I've got right here, I didn't earn it. I didn't earn it. I didn't earn it. I'm never going to earn it. He gave it to me. And it is my good pleasure to give it away. God wants to come and he wants to move. And here's what he's saying. Is anybody here, can I just ask you, I want you to be honest, is anybody here angry with the lost? Anybody angry with the Democrats? Anybody here angry with uh, Nancy Pelosi? Come on, raise your hand. Let's, let's stop playing church. Let's have Jesus, shall we? I'm going to tell you what, you know why I don't watch the news? I'm a veteran. I have skills. I can't afford to watch the news. I'm serious. I, I, I have high blood pressure anyway. I watch the news. I watch the news and I'm, I'm angry. And then I sit to myself and I think, well, no wonder you watch a 24-hour news cycle and then you got maybe 10, 12 hours in the Word each week. You're not walking in God's counsel. You're walking in the counsel of the ungodly. Turn off the news. It's like the cat laying on your lap and you're petting him backwards. He hates that. Well, he could turn around. You ever notice that? You know what a cat will do? Never turn around. That's a carnal Christian. Just never turn around. Just sit there and complain and whine and scream and claw your clothes. The world is dying. Not for another definition of Christianity, but for a demonstration. It's not going to be a supernatural thing like you think. It's going to be supernatural. But it's not going to be ushered in the way you think. It's not going to be because uh, Brother Feelgood bought a chauffeur that was hand-carved by a little Jewish man in Israel and brought on the Internet for $49.95. Now, now throw the tambourine. Now release the flaming pigeons. Now, it's not going to be like that. It's, going to be when, it's not going to be when you get up and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. It's not going to be when you give up your body to be burned. It's not going to be when you all go on a missions trip to North Korea with me in a couple of years. It's, it's not going to, well, we could, it might be if you do that, but it's not going to be like that. It's going to be when one of you gets up 
and walks about 12, 13 feet across the aisle and finds another believer that they've been jealous of or bitter towards or angry at or backbiting or gossiping against without praying for and says, I just want you to forgive me because I've been acting like a perfect jackass and I need to repent. I'm just telling you, the world is dying. Men who have no idea, young men who have no idea. I'm so glad to see a young man in the house of God. I'm so glad to see young men in the house of God. There's men out there in camo, too. That's also encouraging. There's, there's men out there that have no idea what it means to be a man. They're so confused. One week, they're telling kids not to eat Tide Pods. The next week, they're telling them they can make constitutional political policy. This insanity, okay? They're telling a three-year-old he can choose his gender without his parents' commitment. This is insanity. Do you understand? And don't be mad at the sinner because the darkness only exists at the permission of light. Darkness cannot exist where light will go. Well, Hollywood and all this and all that and all this, we're going to stay in our church and sing louder so we don't have to hear it. Well, yeah, everything we leave is going to turn dark. We ought to own everything. Not own it, but we ought to influence it, serve it, season it. Our job is to influence and serve this gospel that all the nations of the earth will be blessed, every last one of them. That's why we're here. So God wants to do that, and he wants to send these hurting people. They're bewildered. They're lost. They have no clue. They have no clue. And he wants to send them somewhere. And he wants to send them somewhere that has certain requirements. He wants the name of Jesus to be honored and preached. He wants the apostolic creed to be believed and followed. There's the easy part. And then he wants to find a group of people who will walk in love, who will not mark false with one another, who will not be competitive and petty and jealous. And listen, I'm not just talking. I'm talking to everybody. Pastors can be as jealous as anybody else. I've struggled with looking at one other guy. Well, what's he got going in his ministry? I got going. When we compare ourselves by ourselves, we damn ourselves. He's looking for a group of men and women who will love radically who will decide above all else, I will have relationship, I will have relationship, and I will have relationship. Your whole life, let me give you a shortcut. Young men, young women, I'm, I'm not that old. I'm only 59, but I'm a missionary, so that's like seven years for every human year. So I'm 136, right? So I've learned one thing. This is all that matters right here. This is all that matters. Relationships are all that matters. I've ministered to people on their deathbeds. None of them told me, I wish I would have worked another split shift. I wish I would have bought that other bass boat. They all tell me two things. I wish I would have taken more chances. And I wish I would have spent more time with my kids, my wife, my grandkids. Relationships are everything. All this other stuff, work, mortgage, car insurance, deodorant, belly current, whatever it is. That's all just the incidentals. Everything we're doing, we're doing for the sake of relationships. And when we make the relationship with Jesus the first thing, then that's kingdom first. Then God's going to say, and this, this is what I believe God's asking. I'm just going to walk around and stare at people, make them uncomfortable. Uh, she stared me down. God's saying, what's your name? Corey. Corey, God's saying, Corey, can I trust you? There's young, young men your age who 
who need Jesus. They need somebody to be a friend to them. And he's saying, Corey, can I send them here? Will you love them or will you judge them? Good man. Will you love them or will you judge them? Will you love them or will you judge them? You going to love them? You're a lovable guy, huh? Is he a lovable guy? Well, nobody jumped into your defense there. So, But that, that's all right. You can always repent and become lovable. It's, you know. Remember, we just sang it. Nothing's impossible for our God, right? You going to love them, man? You sure? You going to love them if they disrespect you? You going to love them? You going to love them? Think about it. <laughs> I'm going to get stabbed here if I'm not going to love them. Oh, oh, no, okay. Are you going to love them? That's all God wants to know. Let's stand up together. I just, let's give the Holy Spirit a moment here. Now, up until now, we just had a service, okay? Up, in, up until now, uh, it might have been a little unorthodox because not too many guys preach here about casinos and wear bacon socks. I get that. And that's probably a good thing, by the way. But up until now, it's just been an interesting church service. How about if we decided to stop having church at this moment and decided to start being the church? Every head bowed, every eye closed. First, I'd be neglect if I didn't ask, is there anybody here who doesn't know Jesus as your Savior? You may be coming to church, but if you're still trying to earn it by coming to church, if you're still trying to do penance, if you're still counting on some sort of religion, I invite you to raise your hand. We're not going to embarrass you. Somebody wants to pray with you and make sure that you know that you can have a relationship with Jesus. We're not going to belittle that. But now I'm going to ask you the tougher question. When I've been sharing this and I started talking about being petty and I started talking about being jealous and I started talking about being angry and I started talking about not forgiving people and I started talking about these things, the Holy Spirit began to speak to some of you. I know he did. And he began to put people's faces in front of you. If that person's face is in this room, what I want you to do is just take a big, uh, take a big shot of Holy Ghost courage and walk over and find that person and look them in their beady little eyes and say, I love you. I choose to love you. I have not always been a good brother or sister in the Lord, and I want you to forgive me. But we have to get along. We have to love one another. We have to create a womb of healing here that God may send the nations through this church. I'm telling you, God wants to impact nations through this church, but he is not exporting any more religion. He's not exporting any more hatred, any more bigotry. He's not, he's not exporting any more unforgiveness. He's not exporting any fornication. He's not exporting any, uh, any of that. He's exporting love. Love covers a multitude of sins. Listen, some of you are so tired of trying to perform and pursuing perfection. Religion says you have to be perfected to be healed. God says, I've healed you. Now you're free. He said, I've made you perfect. Now you're, you're, you're free to pursue me without feeling like you're on a hamster's wheel of performance. You're free just to be loved and to learn to love me. And my love will transform you. It never fails. And here's the problem. When you can't forgive people, it's usually because you don't really understand the depth of forgiveness that you've received from Christ. When you can't love other people, it's because you don't have anything to give because you've never allowed the Holy Spirit to show you how much He really loves you because in your own heart, you really don't feel like you're worth it. And let me help you. In your own strength, you're not. But God says you're worth it. God said, I love them so much, I left the 99. 
I put up with being people spitting in my son's face and beating him mercilessly and mocking him and crucifying him cruelly on a cross. Not some little, little drip of blood on his forehead, little curveball Jesus with a halo. I'm talking about a man being beaten beyond recognition, the ribs of his spine, of his back showing through his skin, beaten and abused and mocked and scourged for what? For you to walk around with petty attitudes, I don't think so. He did it so that you could be totally forgiven. You could understand the depth of that forgiveness. And that forgiveness and love of God in you produce you. You don't have to be beat up to repent. You know what God does when he wants to take me to the woodshed? He doesn't call me a dog. He shows me how he sees me. And then he shows me how I'm living. And the difference between those two breaks my heart. All right. Showtime.